Welcome to the Cosmic Circle, the official podcast for thecosmiccircus.com. I'm Isla Ruby, and this is episode, it doesn't really matter, of our little podcast. We've been doing this for centuries. We have an amazing show today chatting about that Loki season two finale. It aired on Thursday, and we're still reeling. I'm joined by three fantastic people, Alex, Drew, and Uday. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Perez from the Cosmic Circus. Hey, guys. I'm Drew Reed. I'm, uh, I'm also from the Cosmic Circus. And I'm Uday, and I'm also from the Cosmic Circus. <laughs> we, we are all one happy, happy TVA family. Um, so before we go on, this is your warning. There are going to be heavy spoilers for the Loki finale and definitely the rest of the MCU in this podcast. Listen at your own risk of being turned into spaghetti. Um, so let's just dive right in. What did you guys think of this episode? Um, so Marvel producer Kevin Wright said, you know, it was kind of like two chapters of the same book. Do you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts? I, I agree. Uh, essentially, what they were trying to tell was Loki's new story from beginning to end. And we're going to kind of delve into this more about like what exactly they were trying to do with Loki and how they would set him up. But I agree that this felt as it was just like telling two story, like uh, two halves of the story. And now that it's closed, I think it's a, it was a really nice way to end it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think I don't want it to end because I think that they've really hit like they've struck gold with Loki and the TVA and just the characters. And I think it's like it's so it's got to be so hard for Marvel to be like, we're not going to do a season three just because of how perfect the casting is and how perfect like the, the writing. I feel like everything came together really well. But yeah, ultimately, I think they really wrote like they they wrote a really nice ending and like you felt like everything was tied up like perfectly. And I, you can still see that the TVA is still going to go on and like do things. It's just obviously Loki is just in a place right now that he can't really get out of yet. Um, but I, I feel like, like Loki is like Marvel's like the matrix. It's like that, like reality is not what you think it is kind of TV show. And it's just reinvented like Marvel. And I really hope that they take, like they continue to take all the concepts and the theories that they've introduced and kind of put them into other movies. Cause I feel like they've, they've really kind of, <clears throat> this is like their, um, that what they should be leaning, leaning on for the rest of the multiverse saga. Yeah, I agree with what Drew said. I feel like the TVA wasn't completely working for me in the first season, but like I loved this season and I loved this episode. I think that this is, I think that this finale was probably like the best Marvel Disney Plus episode. It's definitely the best finale episode. I was shocked that the MCU actually like 100% stuck the landing on one of these Disney Plus shows because I feel like there was really like nothing wrong with it. And I do think that, you know, the show could end here. I would also be disappointed if it doesn't continue because I think that it's finally in like a really, really interesting place. But I can also see like why they would want to kind of stop here. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think it was a really solid ending to to, you know, Loki and to to the character of Loki on a broader note. Right. He's gone through tremendous change and this is like a solid place for him to just be done. Um, and it's interesting because sometimes you talk about um, like just 
not letting characters be finished. You know, you keep putting them through stuff and, and going on and on without having a satisfying ending. Um, that's certainly the case with a lot of series finales. Um, I'm thinking of maybe Buffy and a couple of others. And I think this character just has a really, really satisfying ending. And if it's the end for Loki, if it's the end for, for Tom Hiddleston in the MCU, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, um, that would be okay. Like em emotionally, I feel just resolved like things are okay um and this is just such a beautiful episode it was heartbreaking it was just very well done for all um so you know going back a little bit to specifics did you uh folks have any favorite moments were there things that really stuck out for you in the episode who wants to go first <laughs> um i'm thinking honestly like i don't know if it was necessarily like uh, it's pretty obvious that like the you know the moment where he kind of breaks the loom and all the timelines kind of scatter out and puts everything that that's like you know like that's going to be like the moment that everybody kind of remembers and that's going to be like the highlight of the episode and i do think it was the highlight of the episode and the moment that kind of made you realize what was going on here and what the entire season was about um i really liked the final like conversation with um loki and mobius and also loki and sylvie i think that was the moment where i was like they're really ending the show here i kind of started to realize that this was it um, so I would probably say, I'd probably say that that was the highlight. I also really liked, um, his conversation with he who remains because, because they're having that conversation and like, you expect them to have that kind of conversation after he's, you know, tried to stop Sylvie a bunch of times. But then I love when like he froze Sylvie and was like, oh, like what makes you think that this is the first time we're having like this conversation? I thought that that was like a really nice moment too. Yeah, that was that was cool. Um, I, yeah, I definitely forgot about the conversation between He Who Remains and Loki. I I really liked when He Who Remains came back, just because I think lo the Loki season one finale was like my like one of my favorite Phase Four moments. Um, I I just loved the whole concept of like introducing Kang in that way, and him kind of just doing like a whole like lay everything out on the table about what the multiverse is, and um, I felt like we really needed that and. Um, it was nice to have him come back and do some more of like that, like groundwork kind of like explaining what everything is. And I, I really like those moments where you get like an info dump like that. For me, overall, like the finale was just everything I wanted, but the show in and of itself was just everything I needed because it provided so much more context into what fans are getting at here with the multiverse saga and I love the way that they're fleshing out everything that has to do with the multiverse and how it works especially now that Loki is like the tree was like probably one of the most recognizable moments I I, I knew about Yggdrasil a while back before it aired and I was literally thinking all of this time like it felt weird because going into it it's like i I have the perspective of knowing, but I was thinking to myself, literally they're bringing in a concept that I love about Norse mythology. Aside from Marvel, I'm a literal like Norse myth fanboy. And so like I, I catch me playing God of War and God of War Ragnarok every other weekend, but um, literally the story and just the implication that now the multiverse is this massive Yggdrasil style tree is the most beautiful perception I think I've ever seen about the multiverse. And, and I just love the concept. I love the idea and I loved everything that had to do with it. And 
and, and there's a, a wonderful article written by a, a new writer, Jake, on the Cosmic Circus that talks about that, which is wild because it has literally become our most viewed article of all time on the Cosmic Circus. So we're, I, I, I'm sad because it's like, oh, we're breaking records and he topped our record. But yeah, I'm, I'm super happy for, for Jake and, and the incredible article that he wrote. And I know that we're going to get more into that. But aside from that, the other part of the show that I love the most, 100% Ouroboros OB, favorite casting of all time. Literally just one of the best castings ever done in Marvel. And, and like, I, I need more OB in my life. And I know that he will be back, but I need more OB now. <laughs> and I want to I wanna jump in on that too, because, you know, finally the, the AMPTP is made a fair deal for SAG. And so these actors, Kihui Kwan, can can talk about what it was like being OB and, you know, get hyped for it just in time for the finale, which is kind of nice because they didn't yes. have, have that and they kind of had to watch that silently. So that was fun on a personal level to see. Um, and I want to, yep. so I, I diverge from you guys a little bit in favorite moments because they're, you know, there was so much beautiful stuff, but I really, really loved the um, the sequence where, you know, Loki is going back in time to try and learn the centuries worth of knowledge that, that Obi has, right? It's set to this, like, disco version of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which is... Um, which the symphony itself is like known as a symphony of fate, right? It's, it's like so aligned with time and destiny and all that. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think um, Natalie Holt just did an amazing job of pairing that with, with um, Loki having to go back and like say again, again, and let's take this again. And I just thought that was very well done and really, really a fun bit of television. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, a little bit of an insight about that scene and the and the sh and like the the song that was used because <laughs> I saw it and all I could do was burst out laughing because I don't know if any of you have seen uh, Family Guy but they use that exact same song in a very old episode which really? is when yes when Peter and it, the song itself I have it here it's called because I, I I literally listened to the song the song was called a fifth of Beethoven by Walter yep. Murphy and it was it was used in a disco scene in Family Guy which is how I knew about uh how I knew about the song and, and I was tempted to like tease the the hold on I'm sorry I, I have to accept this I'll be right back no problem. And we can pause. And we're back. And we were just talking about the Family Guy episode that this was a tease from. And I, I think it's, I just looked it up in our little pause and it was Hell Comes to K-Hog. Yeah, Hog. it was Quahog. Quahog. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. The New, the New England names are. Yeah, but it was, it was just that. It was just them at, uh, I remember the scene. It was them at, at, at a disco club, like a rollerblading place. And the song's playing and they're all dancing and then all of a Peter sudden it just turns to, to hell. Yeah, they, they all skate to it and it just goes to hell and they kill everyone. I was like, oh my God, what the hell? But yeah, it was, it, I, all I could do is just laugh because that's all I, I could remember from that moment. <laughs> I was like, damn. And it's but funny yeah. you said it was really old because I guess it is, but apparently this aired in 2006. So that was a long time old. ago. Yeah, it was, a, it was a while back. It was a while back. <laughs> I kind of wish that we got like um, more insight into like centuries because it's like, you know, it, it comes on screen and it says centuries later, but like I kind of wish that we felt it more 
because it's like you, I, I think I, I made a tweet about, I made a tweet about it on Twitter and Alex uh, like you know quote tweeted it and explained a little bit more but I was like I was like was it a joke that he did it for centuries later because they kind of were like uh, OB was like it took me centuries and then it comes on screen it says centuries later and it's like was that meant to be a joke or was it like does he really spend centuries, centuries. yeah he he spent centuries uh, do, doing it, and I and I kind of want to explain what what it was because the, I I don't know if like we want to dive into like more of like the what we're doing with the script because I want to explain everything that Loki went to into this final season and literally just how and it's coming out in an article soon that I'm writing but it's literally how all he who remains got what he wanted with Loki and that's literally what like. All of this, when he's like going centuries later, he's lived literally at this point. Loki has lived over pretty much a millennia because he's done centuries of of doing the physics thing, right? He's mm-hmm. lived for centuries and time slipping. Then you account for the fact that he's lived literally over a thousand years, reliving the hell of Sylvie going. If you want to stop me, you're going to have to kill me. He's yeah. been doing that for nearly a thousand years. He's been doing this over and over, and he got to the point where he understands he who remains, because he who remains has been doing this for even longer than than that. He's been doing. He's been at this place for an infinite amount of time, and like doing this, uh, he he was looking for the Loki that could understand him and live that moment. That's why it says like you're his like you're my favorite. Because he got what he wanted. He got someone that could understand what he who remains was going through and living this incredible amount of time and being like, nothing matters. I'm indifferent. Uh, Like, because you, you even see it at that moment when like, like he's at first, Loki at first is very emotional with the, oh, if you want to stop me, you're going to have to kill me. He goes very emotional. And as the scene goes on over and over, he just doesn't care. And he just goes like, why aren't you doing something? Fight back. <laughs> he doesn't care and that's that's insane to me because it's it it's it's the layers behind the scene and the implication that he's literally been doing this for thousands of years and gets, that's why he does what he does it gets to their core mo- motivations too right he who remains has been like you said doing it for for forever but at one point he who remains was he i don't know if we'd call loki idealistic but what you know, what was the original he who remains? What was he before he developed this apathy over thousands of years after, you know, going through this, um, in some ways, Groundhog Day situation? Like, what what did he start out as? And I think that's an interesting question. And I don't know that we'll ever get an answer going forward, um, especially given... Oh, we will. You oh, think we so? Will. Or you know we so? Will. Both. <laughs> <laughs> Both. It's it's the curse of being the one who remains and who knows. But no, but he we will see because uh, Nathaniel Richards' story is he always starts out the same. I think the only version of him that's different, and it's not even that so much different as Victor Timely, because mm-hmm. but they're but they're all you know individuals who are extremely smart, extremely egotistical, extremely narcissistic about themselves. And it's like, he said it himself, like when, when they, in, in the end of season one, where, where he's like talking about, oh, there were self-congratulatory narcissism or something like that. And they were just like talking about each other, oh, they're great and whatnot. And then like each one wanted to take each other's resources and realize that there was the potential to like, oh, I can take this world for myself. And that's where like, because they all think 
the each one thinks that they're all the right one or they're the the prime one and their narcissism narcissism and egotism is kind of like what made them uh who they are and why the multiversal war breaks out and then you have he who remains like like oh i came across a life and i and i beat them all i'm the prime one and then you and who who isn't even which we're gonna get into it but it's not even him who you know he he takes credit for someone else's work which we'll get into that in a minute but it's an yeah it's an interesting thing too though because uh you know richards hasn't the thing that changes Loki, right? The thing that causes him to go off of this narcissistic and, and opportunistic bent. Because when we see him, he's still the Loki that uh, at the beginning of season one, he's still the Loki that grabbed the Tesseract. He's still opportunistic. He's still in it from himself, you know. But we see him and he's changed by his friends. He's, you know, he's undergone this great transformation and Richards doesn't, in any of the iterations, doesn't ever seem to have that opportunity or doesn't seem to face that. Mm-hmm. Um. Any last thoughts on on that sequence or the differences between Loki and Timely? Or, excuse me, Loki and, and He Who Remains? Not really. Um, what I was curious about, we kind of talked about it a little earlier with this, you know, the centuries thing is from seeing that He Who Remains spends in infinity and obviously Loki and, you know, Obi have spent centuries, um, I, I guess the, some, you know, the, they never really said outright that time doesn't pass through someone when you're outside of time. And that goes back to Endgame, where they're making the time machine where instead of, you know, with Scott, where he doesn't pass time passes through him and he doesn't pass through time. And I guess that's kind of the concept that's going on in, in the TVA where when you're outside of time, time doesn't pass through you. So you can be thousands of years old and look the same age is that true or I'm, I'm sorry i was like so what you're saying is like what they're like it's being at the tva doesn't age you but like he's lived for that long it's like a canon reason for why they don't look you know ancient. yeah so what I, what I was thinking was that being outside of time at the tva means that time doesn't pass through you like, like yeah, how being, basically being in, yeah. the TVA, being in the TVA doesn't age you because it's part of like they're in stasis. Technically, mm-hmm. they exist outside of time, and the flow of time doesn't really mm-hmm. it doesn't really affect them there. And technically, the TVA is still dampened, and there's like nothing going on. But when the temporal loom is kind of going a-wire and raw time is literally busting through TVA. That's kind of like where everything was starting to go a little bit off course. Mm-hmm. So, but but not only that, and like the flow of time was going inside the TVA, but it was still being dampened enough for it to be linear. That's why uh, one of the things people were saying like, oh, but how can Loki, you know, change the rules if like the past is in the present? And like it, apparently people were confusing about the fact that the flow of time presented in Endgame doesn't correlate to what's going on within the TVA. And people need to understand that within the TVA, it's different because the flow of time isn't natural there. But with the with raw time hitting the TVA and the TVA kind of like melting down, uh, it could it, it all still remains linear. You know, that that's still mm-hmm. remaining linear. And that's kind of what's happening now with uh, with how Loki was able to go back and forth 
because he wasn't really traveling into another multiverse. He was going into his own personal time stream and just like going back and doing it over and over and over. And a yeah. lot of the concepts was just like him. A lot of the time when, when, in, when you do the centuries after thing, uh, it wasn't pe- like, it, it, I want to say it was a combination of Loki understanding the physics of what Obi does but at the same time, it was uh, it was him reliving every possible scenario with Victor Timely going into like going out into the array and like trying to fix it, and, and it, it, that's literally what he spent centuries doing. So mm-hmm. inside, he's old, and his mind is old, and he's lived for centuries and for thousands of years and whatnot. But in body, he's still pretty much the same age. Yeah, I think I just wish that that point was got like they got that point across a bit more because I don't know. I, I guess like you know you want to see that visually and uh, to say you know centuries later, it's like you don't. I think in that moment you don't really grasp the concept of like he spent hundreds of years doing this and he's hundreds of years old, but he looks he looks the same. And um, I, I guess you know like the sacrifice that he makes and like the wisdom that he has in that moment. I guess maybe gets that point across, but. Um, no, I I agree. I think that mm-hmm. like the passage of time could have been explained better because it was like a joke when like the thing came up on screen that Obi was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's yeah. crazy. It would take centuries. And then they're like, oh, haha, centuries later. It honestly felt like something out of SpongeBob, like in yeah. a good way, not in a bad way. But, you know, where they're like, whatever, like a million days later on SpongeBob. Um, but but yeah, I agree. Like you definitely like you feel his like weariness when he's speaking to he who remains and yeah, like when he's weaving the timelines together, but I honestly feel like it's a wider MCU problem where I feel like lately the passage of time in like movies and TV shows is just not well done at all. And I do think that the centuries later thing is part of that. Cause I, I definitely do not get the vibe from the TV show that he spent nearly a thousand years trying to stop Sylvie. I felt like he tried, he'd spent maybe like 10 years trying to stop Sylvie before like having those conversations with he who remains so like i can i can believe that it took him centuries to get to like the physics thing but i can't believe that man would spend a thousand years reliving that exact same moment with sylvie and i don't think the episode like shows anything to support it being that long i totally it does actually though it does though it's i have to find the exact moment but i believe uh he who remains is the one that says it. I need to find the 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 transcript for it, but I don't know if like if I yeah here it is. Okay, if I I don't know if like all right here it is. Da, 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 da. Skipping ahead, let me see. It should be right around here. Op, yeah, I'm like reading the transcript because I know he who remains said it. Uh, all right, see. It, it says it right here when he's talking to like he. Well, it says a thousand more times, but he it says right here uh when he says reincarnation baby we die with the dying we're born with the dead uh-huh okay so this is a lot for you i get it so why don't you go through this a couple more thousand times right get your bearings and then you know you just let me know I, and every I, time so that's kind of like he he's done this for a while you know that's kind of like the point i think the larger point though i think um you know the 
I, I totally agree with Uday and, and Drew here, though. I think, you know, that that passage of time, if you miss that little line in the dialogue, I think that you like you miss a lot of context and you can argue whether or not that's like a throwaway line, whether or not that's not actually literally millennia or actually it's just or, or it is millennia. But I think when they're showing the passage of time with the physics, I think that's so much clearer. And I see think you can see like uh you know, Loki getting more and more harried and more and more and shorter in the instructions he's giving to folks and just trying to get this done, even though it's been centuries. Like you can see him becoming almost more frantic till he's at, mm-hmm. at the moment where it works. And I don't get the same sense of um, franticness where he's trying to stop Sylvie. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree. And then, and also like, I remember that line about like a couple thousand more times and I was like, oh crap, like you're going to be doing this for a lot longer. But I mean, I didn't take that to mean a couple thousand more years um, yeah. because, I mean, like... It it's, doesn't it's take like a year. What, like a, no, it's like a one-hour moment that he's reliving yeah. with Sylvie. Um, so I feel like it would still be a couple hundred years. But then to me, it's also the fact that that's when Loki leaves. He doesn't do it a couple thousand more times. So I took it to mean that, like, he's done it, like, a couple hundred times. And so he spent maybe, like, a couple decades of his life trying to stop Sylvie at this point. And then when he talks to he who remains and he who remains is like, oh, now it's going to take like 500 years. And that's when Loki dips out and like tries to find another solution. It's part so, of him having. And that's that's the yeah, moment where totally just when like it's the skipping ahead part because you don't see it. And I agree that you don't see it. And, and if you don't see it, you think to yourself, oh, that's like. But the thing is, in 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 real time, without the skipping ahead part right you have loki reliving the sylvie thing over and over and over and he does it a, a couple of hundred times you can say that's like a couple of decades right and then he has at one moment that's when he starts getting bored and and tells like he who remains like yo are you gonna interrupt or something he's starting to have an epiphany he, right it, it's part of the moment where he realizes that he can't like he can't it, it's starting it. yeah it's like starting that that action yeah, and then he has that moment, he has that conversation, then who he who remains tells him to do it a thousand more times, right? And then at that moment, that's when he says, like, he pauses Sylvie and says, and what makes you think this is the first time we've had this conversation? And, like, it's implied there when he says, how many times do you think we've had this conversation, that he's done this again. You don't see it. But that moment where he says, in between, do it a thousand more times, and then he says, uh, what makes you think this is the first time we've had this conversation? He spends a couple of more times doing that same thing, like of trying to stop Sylvie. But at that moment, at some point, he learns how to pause time, and that takes a while without the use of uh, the the temp pad that that he who remains has, because he's not using a temp pad. Loki is literally pausing time at his own volition with his own power, and that's the moment where, like, oh shit, he finally paused time. What makes you think we had this conversation? And that's the moment where, like, he who remains is like, finally, I found the one. It's the perks of being a god. Yeah, the perks of being a god. But he's literally been doing this for a while. And that's, and I agree that, like, you need people, sometimes you need to be shown that in order to understand it. But yeah, he who remains, uh, he's been, Loki has been at this for a while. It's probably been a couple of centuries more at most, maybe not a thousand years again, but. But, it, but it, the implication is that he's been doing this for a while. He's been looping at it over and over and over and over. And every time 
that he thinks he found a way, he has to loop it again and again and again and again until that moment where he says, and what makes you think we've had this conversation before? And that's where like the loop breaks because he finally does something different. Two from a practical like television making perspective, like you you have a, a finite amount of time that you have for for minutes on the screen. So, you know, you, it, it can be hard to figure out what you're going to use your real estate for, or how you're going to show, you know, especially when you're considering such a long time period. And I think it's like a tricky, a tricky balance to figure out how you're going to show that and what, um, what you're going to leave up to people to discuss in podcasts and, and argue about. What I thought that on, they the, were on doing... that topic. Oh, go ahead. Ude. Sorry. I was just going to say, isn't this the longest Disney plus episode? And I'm so, or at least Marvel Disney Plus episode, and I, I, I think it is because it was like 58 minutes, including credits. Um, but I was really glad that the episode was so long. I think it definitely helped, like, let things breathe. Like, if it was shorter, it definitely would have felt rushed. Like, I think a lot of the other Marvel Disney Plus finales do. Um, but also, maybe Disney Plus just needs to reframe their whole like minutes on screen strategy because, mm-hmm. in general. I think a lot of the episodes are arguably too short, like across these TV shows. And then you look over at Amazon Prime, which is giving you hour and 15 minute episodes for Lord of the Rings. And you're like, you know, like like this episode could have even been like two minutes longer to help you get some more of that feeling that centuries have passed when he's talking to He Who Remains. Because that is a great point that it would have taken Loki so long to learn how to pause time. And that definitely is something that I feel like was a little bit glossed over. Um, the fact that like centuries probably passed like between that conversation and Loki learning how to pause time. But yeah, I just, I think in general, Disney plus episodes should be more like the Loki finale length instead of us being like, so pleased that the finale was like the longest episode. I think as we see Disney move more into um, the the standard ad model, which is, you know, commercials before we're going to see more um, maybe longer episodes because, you know, that's just, you know what it what it happens with commercials and not just you know the inclusion of commercials but because the story is built that way the story is built to support these act breaks with commercials sorry drew i think you were saying something yeah so what the angle that i thought they were going for or what i thought that they were going to do was have loki like i'm trying to think how to word this that (laughs) because i know that they said that he who remains um created the tva i thought that they were going to have loki go back to the beginning of time and pave the way for he who remains to create the tva which would have been really like a kind of like mind-boggling because he who remains says that like he was the one who paved the way for loki but i thought that now that loki could time slip he could time slip back to like i thought that he was going to re i thought that he was going to write the entire story essentially i thought that he was going to be the one who'd like I don't know how to like explain it in a way that it makes sense. I thought he was the going to be the one who actually brought Mobius to the TVA to begin with. And like the same with like B-15 and, and Casey. And I thought that he was going to be like the one who created everything originally, but I obviously it didn't go that way. I just thought that now that he had discovered how to time slip outside of time, he kind of was able to, he's able to write, like, you know, he's able to rewrite everything. But then I realized that he who remains can do the same thing. So it wouldn't, I don't know if it necessarily would have made a lot of sense. Does he who rem- do you got and this is a little bit off of our our plans, but do you feel like the he who remains being able to time slip is that 
is that almost a cop-out? Is that like, you know, someone waking up and it's all a dream if they've had this power all along and, you know, it wasn't necessarily seen? Well, I don't know if he can time stuff. I mean, Alex might be able to explain a little bit more, but he has that watch that lets him control mm-hmm. time outside of time. So I guess that's like his own way of time stepping where he can kind of move himself through time. He can move others through time. I mean, we saw that he could take Sylvie out of the equation in that scene where he can remove her from the actual room by moving her through time. So, yeah, I'm not really sure if, I don't, I don't think that he necessarily time slips. I think he maybe just has a device that can control time slipping, maybe. Yeah, that's, his temp pad is more than, his temp pad really allows him to do more than what most of the TVAs can. He has the ability to time slip and he has the ability to control time or pause it or reverse it or do whatever, honestly. So he who remains has that power, but Loki is the one who can do it naturally, you know, and that's, that, that's pretty much the, the gist of he who remains. He who remains like, and, and, I, and I'm going to explain this later on in an article, but he who remains created the sacred timeline uh, in order to like stop the multiversal war. But the main point of him, Nathaniel Richards, overall, has been to control the multiverse. The problem and like harness the entirety of, of the multiverse so that they can like, essentially like if they need something, and I think Wanda explained it best. If you control the multiverse, you have an answer for everything. If it's not in one universe, it's going to be in another universe. Like a, a cure for a disease, an, an answer for something. You know, any anything can be found within the multiverse because there's an infinite possibilities where anything and everything works. The thing is, Nathaniel Richards at the time, and it's and it's always something like it, it. It was explained best with Victor Timely, right? In season two, Victor Timely was a genius because he had the book, he had Ouroboros's book, but his he was out of time because in his in his location at the time he was set in in 1893. He did not have the capability to bring his ideas to life. He didn't have the technological capabilities in order to do what he wanted to do, which was the prototype to the time chair, the, the loom, all of that. And then, but Nathaniel Richards, who becomes he who remains later on, does have that capability. All of the kings from later on, I believe it's like the 31st century or something. I don't remember when exactly Kang, what, when in... What, what moment like Loki season one, I'm kind of like blanking at that date, but the Loki- It was the, the 31st. Kings, yeah. 31st century, all right. So th- in the 31st century later on, they have the ability to bring those ideas to life. And that's when the multiverse starts contacting each other. But the thing was, every single Nathaniel Richards interacting with each other across time was causing incursions and it was causing the death of the multiverse. And that was kind of the one thing that no, none of them wanted because they wanted control of the entire multiverse, not just a portion of it. Because if you keep losing Earths and you keep losing timelines, at what point do you have, at what point do you kind of like, okay, so my, my main goal failed to control the entirety of the multiverse. And that's kind of what, what Nathaniel Richards wants. And that's kind of like anyone that involves themselves with the multiverse wants. The, the main goal of Kang, Kang Prime, and every other Kang variant out there is they want the entire multiverse to be controlled. They want to control the entire multiverse and have access to everything. 
but they can't do that if incursions keep happening. Every single one of them doing a multiversal war, incursions happen, universes die. And they couldn't find the answer to do it. So that's when He Who Remains comes in, literally wipes everyone out using Elias and the help of Renslayer, and creates the sacred timeline to kind of pause and find the answer that he was looking for. That's why you never really see the end of like the end of the sacred timeline because he who remains just keeps writing everything back and forth to try to find the one person that could, you know, do what he wanted, which is to create a multiverse or a version of it where everything could be controlled and nothing would be lost. You know, a version of the multiverse where you could access everything without destroying it. And that's why you have Loki as a character. That's why the show existed. Literally, he who remains wanted Loki because that's every time he's been doing this for an infinite amount of time. What Loki has been living through, like trying to find the answer to fix the loom, he who remains has been doing that for even longer, but not for the loom. He's been trying to find someone who can replace him at the end of time to access the entirety of the multiverse. And that's why you see so many Loki variants in the void. That's why it's always just searching because he who remains goal has been to search for Loki. And he's been looking for it all this time. And that's why they brought in Sylvie. That's why Sylvie was taken away from her timeline. And we never really get to see that explained. But she was taken from that timeline because she was one of the few people that was able to control Elias. And the final two contenders in He Who Remains Mind was Sylvie and Loki. And the problem with Sylvie was Sylvie was so angry with He Who Remains that she wasn't the one. She could have done, she could have been the one to have like controlled the multiverse and done everything. But Sylvie was so angry and was so uninterested with the concept of the multiverse and saving everyone because she in herself. Sorry for the Sylvie fans that are going to be listening to this. She and herself was selfish. She wanted to live her own life and she didn't want anything to do with like having to, to deal with the multiverse. She didn't care about Kane. She just wants to live her life. Meanwhile, Loki, on the other hand, he wants to save his friends. He wants to save everyone. He wants to live that life. But he realizes that in order for that to happen, he has to sacrifice himself. And it was at that moment he who remains has been paving the road, not just for like the Infinity Saga, but pretty much for Loki in general. He's been training Loki from a distance, right? Making him live through all of the events of Loki season one and all of the events of Loki season two. So he could finally get the variant that he wants that has the ability to manipulate time to create the perfect multiverse in which nothing can be destroyed. It just keeps rebuilding itself because of Loki being in the middle of it all. And that moment when Loki pauses time and he who remains is like looking at him with like a little bit of shock, but then smiles afterwards. And he says, that's why you're my favorite is because he finally got what he wanted. He got the, the power source that was able to create a multiverse that will never be destroyed, can never be altered and can finally be manipulated and controlled entirely. So now um, this is the part of the show where like mul the multiverse saga is going to come into effect and you're going to see a lot more. Well, originally you were supposed to see a lot more Kang variants. Now I don't know if that's going to happen because of the major situation and, you know, Marvel kind of like dealing with trying to deal with that right now. But the Loki ending kind of just sets everything up 
in a way, it sets Marvel up in a way that they can either continue with the Kang story or they can just completely diverge from it and leave it to someone else. Well, I wanted, right. I want to, so I wanted yeah. to, to jump back a moment to talk about, about replacing, um, about he who remains was looking for someone to replace him. But even before we talk about that, why don't we just jump into the, um, into the Jonathan major situation? I think that is actually a really good transition. So there's a line in, you know, in the, in the finale of Loki season two, and it's, it's like a throwaway line and it's, um, you know, it's at, it's at the end at the TVA where, where B, you know, where they're talking about um, the Kang variants and they say that one was causing a ruckus on, you know, an adjacent, I don't remember the exact wording, but like something the, related. Go ahead. The 616 adjacent realm. That's yeah, what six, the Earth 616 adjacent realm, which seems to be, you know, linking it pretty directly to quantum mania. Do you think that's a way mm-hmm. that Marvel can, um, you know, move, shift to a different villain or shift away so. from all of that? I don't think so. They've kind of set up the, I mean, like, I know, like, they could, I mean, obviously they could shift to a different villain. They'll find, they could find a way. But I think the ending kind of sets up um, them monitoring the Kang variants. Um, it kind of, you know, they, they were like, you know, does any he who remain variants know who we are yet? They said not yet. Um, or, or, um, so they're monitoring them. And I kind of feel like they're, they're heading towards like a, um, you know, like team Kang variants versus team TVA. And um, I mean, that's where they could be heading. Um, I mean, it's not guaranteed. I mean, I'm sure with the TVA's involvement in Deadpool three, we'll probably find out more on what the, what the status of the TVA is. But um, I, I would like for them to continue with Kang. I, I like Kang the conqueror. I like, I just think he's cool. I like him as a villain. I don't really think the MCU is ready for Doctor Doom yet. They won't. So, they're, they're, like the, the idea, the idea with Doom, that 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 in and of itself, Doom. Like I know what plans they have for Victor. There are already plans for Victor, but it's not here. They don't mm-hmm. want the Doom in and of itself is a villain, sort of like Thanos, and sort of like um sort of like Kang it's such a big it's such a big villain in terms of how they want to do it they want to do it right which is why he's not even remotely close to the plans that they have for the multiverse saga like you god I can't even talk about it because like this is not even the main point of discussion but there doom has plans just not here it's too early it's like it doesn't make sense it doesn't apply there are going to be setups to Doom later on, but it's not it's not here. It's Which, like there there is no space for it. And going back to like what you were saying about like the Jonathan Major situation and kind of like how they how they wrote the adjacent realm thing. The, the right now they're monitoring the situation. They don't know the Kings don't know about the TVA yet. And the reason why they're just monitoring and they say like, oh, this one kind of like went out of their way and kind of like got wild. Like, but he's, but the, the, the heroes handle it. They were talking about quantum mania just to like clear up the air because a lot of people were apparently confused and were like, that's not, but that's like something else. It's like, no, the adjacent realm is the quantum realm. Thing yeah. is that the adjacent realm is the, apparently the official term for it. Quantum realm is what uh, Hank Pym calls it. 
but it's the apparently called the adjacent realm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why they, they call it adjacent realm, but that's that's their point. I thought they were um, just saying that it's like a realm adjacent to 616, because there's also like the a... dark dimension and everything, right? Yeah, no, so I, those are all, I, know. I guess like that's the distinction between dimension and multiverse, isn't it? It's not a separate yeah, universe. Yeah. It's still no, it's, like, yeah, it's not a separate timeline. universe. Yeah, yeah, it's no, like but the it's, same but same timeline, same the quantum, universe, but, but just like but it's universe. yeah, no, but it's the the adjacent realm is the quantum realm, it, and what they were referring to is the events of quantum mania. Now, here's the thing: they are monitoring everything, but for for the next while, it's going to be quiet in terms of like monitoring the Kang variants because there's not going to be anything. All of the Kang variants are not on the multiverse; they're not located across the multiverse at all. They're all still at the Council of Kings, you know, and the, in limbo, I think that's what it's called. They're all still there, you know, and, and the purpose of that meeting in and of itself is it can go two different ways, right? Because right now they're all either planning their way to set up their own dynasty in, in, it, in like, oh, we're going to, you know, take control of the multiverse and we're all going to team up. But the thing is, the way history has played out, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> because the, the Council of Kangs, both in the comics and literally in the setup, they've all tried to kill each other. And the fact that they're all in the stadium, all getting ready, and like when the, every single variant of Majors just like pops up and whatever, I keep seeing that and I keep thinking to myself, they're all about to kill each other off screen. And by the time that we reach Kang Dynasty, there's going to be like maybe two or three variants that we're just going to have to worry about and all of the thousands and infinite versions of Kang that we saw at that council council of Kang stadium or whatever are all just going to be dead <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself like right so this is kind of like what they're going for all right it's but tough. the TVA is not going to see Kang for a while and they're going to be monitoring the situation and it's going to be all quiet for them but it's because like they're not at the they're not in the multiverse anywhere they're all just literally chilling at, at the Council of Kings doing God knows what. <laughs> but we're going to find out eventually. But the I don't devil's... think they're going to address yeah, that's, well, that's what They're, they're going to tease it. They're going to tease it in Deadpool. Devil's Advocate. That, that's it, the thing. It, it seems yeah, like the Council of Kings might be something that the TVA or some other um, organization might take note of, given, uh, given their motivations and might be monitoring. And it, it's sort of an interesting thing to think about um and also you know especially with invincible coming out i just keep thinking about the council of kangs and the parallels to angstrom levy and his you know not to be spoilery for invincible but i think it's like the first episode just the parallels to that yeah well, but I they, don't, that... they don't ex yeah go ahead yeah i was just gonna say like um i agree like i don't think the tva has heard of like any other ruckuses from King variants because they're all out of time and the TBA is only monitoring the timeline. And I mean, maybe they're not doing a good job of monitoring the timeline because you should notice when like thousands of King variants suddenly like disappear from their timeline, right? But but I can totally see that that that's why no other King has like caused an issue yet because they're all gloating about the conqueror's like demise, right? Um, I don't think that that scene is like a way for Marvel to, I mean, well, I think it is a way for Marvel to pivot away from Jonathan Majors if they wanted to. I find the whole conversation to be kind of ridiculous. I'm like, 
don't recast Kang. Like you, you're all in. Or sorry, not not don't recast Kang. I mean, recast Kang. Don't um, like throw the character away because mm-hmm. you're in too deep at this point. And I don't really see why everyone's like saying like, oh, like no more Kang after that finale. But I do agree that it's kind of problematic that Kang keeps losing, like because he who remains is so scary I it's like oh he thought he backed loki into a corner but then loki like one-ups him and then the fact that the end of this finale says that out of the infinite multiverse only one king has caused an issue and that king was defeated by like the ant-man family like so are they even a threat then like at this point i do feel like it's getting diluted and personally i did not like victor timely at all so I went from being really excited about Kang, even in Quantumania, I still liked him, but now I'm kind of like, okay, like, can you do something? And Marvel yeah, that's sh- the thing. That's the, that's, I'm sorry, I'm literally just going to interrupt because this is the part of the conversation that's like, you, I, Mobius said it best. Mobius said it best. You have to see the bigger picture, right? You, the point of Kang, and he's always done this in the comics, Kang loses all the time. And it's in they're making they're doing they're doing kind of like that effect the same thing with the Marvels, in which um, they're lowering your expectations so that when it comes you're just going to be shocked, you know they're pulling like a Mega Mind situation where they're like oh he just loses every time but then he finally wins and you're like oh shit it happened right and that's sort of like what they're setting up the Kang situation to be. Kang keeps losing over and over and over. But by the time he becomes an actual threat, it's like, oh shit. It's an, it's an, it becomes an oh shit moment. And the scary thing about Kang is not the fact that he fights, right? It's his mind. That's sort of like what makes Kang such a scary villain to begin with. It's like, it's his intellect. It's the way that he's able to see everything. And he's able to calculate for any version of possibility and all of his the only one that's ever been able to do that so far because of because of the amount of time that he spent is he who remains and he will be back but it's not going to be the same variant because the variant that we're going to get now isn't the same one that's at the end of the citadel at the end of time we're going to get to see the he who remains that existed before you know the tva before creating the citadel before all of that which is essentially just going to be another version of of Nathaniel Richards, but I don't know exactly how it'll fit into it because he doesn't really like that version of Kang doesn't really vibe with the council. He doesn't really he doesn't go for what uh for what these people want. So at the end of the day, I don't know what role the new he who remains is going to play, and if when if and when he comes back. So. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of like, kind of like one thing that I just want people to keep in mind. It's like, Kang is going to lose a lot. So that the moment that he wins, it takes you by surprise. The two notes on that. Again, go ahead. Two notes on that. So Marvel has shown, you know, to Uday's point about recasting him. And I think Marvel has shown their willingness to do that. So I think that's definitely an option. Um, you know, if the major situation plays out, how it certainly seems like it's going to play out. And then second, you know, it's, I don't, you know, so we, we say that Kang keeps losing. So it'll be a surprise from a storytelling perspective. That's sort of interesting, but also like it kind of nerfs him. He's not really a 
scary villain. And I feel like with the other big bads for Marvel, like Thanos, you saw why he was a scary villain. And with, with Kang, you're, it's a whole lot of um, telling instead of showing. Like we're told, okay, Kang is this big threat. Kang is, you know, all the variants are bad, 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 but he just keeps losing. And it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I like that as far as, and just, you know, again, personal opinion, if, if I like just, from just storytelling, if that makes sense, an audience expectation. I also that think that, yeah, I also think that at a certain point, you're going to lose your audience because it is really interesting that, yeah, I do like that perspective that King loses, but it's like whack-a-mole because there's an infinite number of them. You're always going to have like another one. And, you know, maybe then the 10th one will be more capable and he'll win. And that's cool. But when you have something as sloppy and messy as the multiverse saga with like no connection between the projects except for Kang, and then Kang is becoming diluted with all of these different variants that like um, that, like you said, are just telling and not showing, then at some point it's like your franchise is just going to collapse on itself. And I feel like we're already seeing that kind of happen where people are ready to move on from Kang and we're only on like the third variant. And, you know, there's people saying cancel King Dynasty, which I think is like a ridiculous thing. Um, and I don't know, I just, I feel like it's really, that's kind of a dangerous game to play. Because at this point, like in November of 2023, it looks like there's a real possibility that the King storyline won't even finish playing out if there's discussion at Marvel Studios about moving away from the character. Because personally, like, I think the only scary King villain so far was He Who Remains. And... To me, He Who Remains is still the best. Like, The Conqueror was interesting, but again, it was all tell, no show, and I thought that, like, by the end of it, he was, like, a pretty generic villain, because all he did was, like, blast some blue energy at people. Um, and then, again, with Timely, I just, I don't, I don't think I really get Victor Timely. I didn't like him, and honestly, I feel like I didn't need to see him in this season. I think with Thanos, there was such a bigger buildup and we saw why he was so scary and why he um, had the potential to really change everything. Like we saw him, you know, collecting the stones. We saw him like what he was willing to do for that. Um, And just, you know, as as a villain, that's a pretty clear motivation. That's also pretty, pretty gnarly. Yeah. So here's, here's what I would have done differently. The thing about Thanos and why Thanos was so scary is because he had other people doing his work Mm -hmm. for him for so many years, like armies, Loki and Ronan and, and he had accolades almost. He has these big armies and and I feel like that's how they should have gone. Like, so I've said it a couple of times. I don't think, I don't know if I've said on Twitter, but I feel like MODOK should have been Kang's role in quantum mania. MODOK should have been the one who was controlling the quantum realm. And it should have been revealed at the end of the film that he was actually like a herald or like a, a, a lieutenant for Kang and he was working for Kang. And I feel like that would have set up, like you didn't have to make Kang the Conqueror the main villain of Quantum Mania. You, you could have done gone other ways to set him up in, in a way that shows that that reveals him in a bigger way, essentially. Um, and I feel like that's the problem. Is that I'm kind not going to lie. That is... That is- that literally, literally listening to you right now, I think this is the first time I've ever heard that suggestion. And I think that is probably one of the smartest ideas I've ever heard. <laughs> like, yeah, like that sounds like a I great idea. I would like that more. Yep. I just think it would have made more but, sense. I think it would have worked better with the plot of Quantumania because they have a previous relationship 
with Darren. It would have given them more <laughs> of a personal conflict. It just feels like there was a disconnect between Kang and Scott because you don't they don't know each other, and you you pit them together without any kind of buildup. It just that's what didn't work about the movie, and I think that's what didn't work for people was obviously they they defeat Kang you know pretty easily with ants, and I mean there's a good logical explanation for it. But no matter how logical the explanation is, it just doesn't work for audiences. And I, I just feel yeah. like the way that I, you know, this the way that I explained it is the way that I would have liked to see it. And I feel like that's how they need to go about Kang is you don't pull the curtains back on somebody right away. And that's what worked so great about Thanos is it took so long to reach that moment. And he was powerful but, in that moment where he was revealed. But also, I feel like there's a couple different routes you could have gone with Kang. So, like, I really like that Modoc idea. But it's like if they didn't want to do Thanos again, if they didn't want other people doing his dirty work, it's like Kang can still be the main villain. But I think there's like the argument of obviously he has nothing to do with Scott. So it's just weird in an Ant-Man movie. But it's like, did it have to be the Conqueror that was doing all that? Or could it have been another variant of him, which I think then would have been okay for him to get defeated by Ants? Or then there's the thing of, did he need to get defeated by ants? Why couldn't he have been... Again, I feel like there's stronger writing there where it's like the ant family could have like struggled to defeat him a little bit more. And then maybe it's like a little bit more of like his personal like ego or something taking him down and not a swarm of ants and then getting like blasted in the face by hope. Like there's just, I think there's a couple different things that would have gone like a longer way to strengthening Kang's foundation instead of weakening it which i feel like is what quantumania did because well, it, quantumania. Or imagine what it would have been like sorry imagine what it would have been like if like they defeated the conqueror and then you get to the council of kings and there's like another conqueror and it's like the guy in quantumania was maybe just like a little like wannabe playing dress up and he wasn't actually like the like king the conqueror mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i, I agree with that. that but they're not but the 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 one in quantumania the the main purpose of like introducing Kang at that moment was it, it was more of a Marvel decision on wanting to make Scott Lang something of like a bigger they wanted to give Scott like a bigger movie in terms of like quantum because like the the decision and that's personally like one of the decisions I didn't really like or understood was the fact that they're like, okay, you know what? Our first two Ant-Man films didn't really go well with fans. And personally, like, I loved the Ant-Man films because they're, like, very family-friendly, very heartly. You know, that's kind of, like, the thing. And then all of a sudden, we're just going to go in and we're going to make Quantumania one of, like, the most important parts of the multiverse saga because we need to justify making a trilogy. And I'm just like, don't do that. No, there's, there's better ways to do this. And... And and it kind of like it got it kind of got to me in the sense and like listening to like the the ideas that you guys have now it's like yeah it, it totally makes much more sense to do something like that like set up Kang the Conqueror but you know Marvel's Marvel already played it out there's not much we can do to change that so uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah like I know. I that's that's the thing you know it's like you can't change it. I want to shift a little bit back. I know we've had um, a lot on Ant-Man as well. I want to kind of go back to to Loki because we're running a little bit hot on time and 
I apologize for my dog. Um, but so going back to specific moments um, in in the finale, I want to talk about that reversed intro sequence. What did you guys think? I loved it. <laughs> I literally it was I teased it. I teased it before the, the episode aired. I teased it and I put, oh snap, it's rewind time from like the Will Smith. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I love, I love all of that. Yeah, I mean, ultimately the writing was just great. Like it, you know, like um, after having the intro, like the, I think what I loved about the season one finale so much was the intro um, was like the, you, you felt the gravity of what was happening. You, you're being taken through like the timeline. You're hearing all these like quotes from the past. You're hearing all these historical quotes and you start to realize it's like, you know, we're about to redefine the MCU. And that's what like the season one finale of Loki did. And, and I think they kind of did their own version of that now in, you know, with this finale, with that intro as well. And, and I liked that. Um, so also let's go, let's talk a little bit about Loki and, and Loki sacrificing himself for his friends. Was that um, an earned moment in your opinion? Was that at a character? What did you think of that? I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. So um, this is, this is something I wanted to mention in the podcast, but I haven't got around to it yet. Um, so like, I think I said that I didn't, love Loki season one like I think Loki season one is good but I just don't really think it's for me and a major part of that is that I didn't like Loki himself like I hated him in season one I thought the writing was really sloppy because I don't think any of his character development in the first season was earned like because he just watched a slideshow of his life and then like automatically became less like evil and then just followed Sylvie around like a lost puppy for the whole show which is fine because I thought Sylvie was a much more interesting character than him that's a really then good I thought description, two, description, by the way. I, I feel like season two, well, I liked Sylvie because I thought she had that edge. Like she had the edge of Loki from Avengers 1 and I loved that edge to his character. And then in the first episode of the Loki show, they just, again, like they sanded it off him by having him watch the MCU movies. And I didn't love that. But now coming into season two, he was in an interesting place when season one ended and then from the first episode, I was like, oh, this is way more interesting, like what they're doing with Loki. And I feel like that's continued. I love that he's made these friends. And I love that he has gotten to a point where he's sacrificing his own life and his own ambition for them. And again, like everyone's been talking on Twitter about how no one could have thought like when Loki said that he wanted a throne and he had this glorious purpose that it would end to him holding the entire multiverse together in his hands on a throne at the end of time. And the finale for me and like that whole evolution of his character, that's made him one of the best characters in the MCU. So going from season one to where like, I didn't care about Loki that much to now at the end of season two, I think he's in my top five, like favorite MCU characters, definitely like top five favorite in the multiverse saga. Um, I think it's just I think it's just it's just um, a testament to how how good the writing has been this season that it's really developed him like to that point and it's developed him so well. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think season two, I, I really so to differ a little bit from your opinion. I liked season one a lot I, just because I at the time the multiverse hadn't been like revealed. We didn't really know what was happening, and this was kind of like a show that really laid the groundwork for everything. And that's what I really loved because at the time I was like, uh, you know, I'm really hyped for the multiverse and hyped for, you know, the cameos and stuff like that. So I was really happy that we got some groundwork 
and like some actual like like the multiverse theory revealed um so that's the part that i liked about season one i also liked i also just <laughs> i like loki when he's nice you know like i like a nice loki and I, I do agree like in episode one they really did rush his like character development where he turns from like pure evil to pure good and i feel like that was a little bit of like whiplash um but then once you kind of settle into the character i think the end of the season got like better um the finale of season one was like probably one of like i said like one of my favorite things in the mcu but ultimately i think the development of his character was a lot better in season two you you get a lot more time excuse me you get a lot more time to spend with the character of like of loki and his like his mind and especially in the the last two episodes you know like episode episode four five and six you really get like a complete character development from him and i think that really tied everything together and if that's why i guess like if they're gonna end it here they've really stuck the landing with loki and they've really kind of nailed it like they've nailed his character and who he is and um and i think season two just did a really good job of his development overall alex do you have any thoughts um i kind of just I don't know. Like, I, I felt like the entirety of the story was just kind of sending up to that. You know, it's like Loki started out as this self in, in terms of the story, right? Because at this point, he's he hasn't lived through uh, anything past the Avengers films. This variant literally just, like, was captured by the Avengers and was just taken out of time. So he hasn't lived through the Dark World, Ragnarok, Infinity War. He hasn't lived through that. He kind of saw it, but, like, he was still this character that was, you know, villain right and it's kind of like what you guys are saying he just he turned from a a purely evil villain to someone who was who who learned what it meant to sacrifice himself for another person and that's it 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 was interesting and i and i and i kind of like that decision for the for the show in terms of turning loki into this into this benevolent god so to speak now because that's kind of what he is now. He's just God Loki. So, so let's talk about God Loki. Um, so he, you know, Loki walks down the gangway. He um, he embraces the branches of the timeline, and now he's at the center of the tree of life. Um, what do you guys think about that? I know, um, I know, there's a lot to talk about there. I think Marvel put crack in the Loki season two finale. There's something about the, the things that Marvel releases that come out in November. Well, I mean, maybe not all of them, but, you know, I'm like, you know, they put Crack and Black Panther Wakanda forever. That thing's amazing. And I felt like the same thing watching the season two finale of Loki, especially that moment. It was just like incredible. Like that's like, again, like that has to be like top 10 MCU moments is like Loki finally like being a God again, because that was also one of my biggest things with season one. I'm like, you're not using any of your magic. You're walking around in like this dirty ripped up shirt. It's like, have some respect, you know, like where's your helmet. And, you know, Alex has obviously been teasing us. And I know he's been saying like, Oh, like, don't worry. He's going to get the horns this season, but I didn't expect the horns to be literally growing out of his head and to be the same, like the same stone that like the Citadel was built out of with he who remains. Like I thought the man was just going to get a gold horned helmet, but no, he got like some fancy, like end of time God horns. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's what I want to see. Like, I want to see God Loki and that whole sequence and like him finally getting his throne, but it's like not the throne he wanted, 
And I mean, they already did that with like Ragnarok, right? Like Loki got the throne and then he didn't, he found out that he couldn't handle the responsibility. So this is like a parallel to that, but it's just, it's such a satisfying, not like conclusion to his character, but I guess like pause point for his character. Um, But I don't know. I definitely see why they don't want to make season three given that ending, but it's also like we know Loki has to come back at some point. So I just don't know how they're going to top this ending, but obviously this can't actually be the character's end. Why can't it be? Because the sun has to shine on the world. It's like, why can't it be the way she said it? It's like, why can't it be? Well, we know that Secret Wars, I mean, this is like a very broad topic, but we know that Secret Wars is going to be like a I mean, it's not, I'm not saying this based off of the news. I'm just saying it based off of every Secret Wars story. Just It's going to be somewhat of like a reboot. Not like a hard reboot, like a very soft, very, very soft reboot. But um, I would assume there's got to be some sort of multiversal implication with Loki of what happens in Secret Wars. I've already said this before and I mentioned it in my theory, which kind of, I kind, I kind of feels shitty now because like, like I, I slightly knew what happened and it and it, it kind of led into the theory but uh and i've mentioned this before loki is the molecule man in the mm-hmm. mcu secret war story like he is currently powering the entirety of the multiverse and and it's going to come to this again it will it loki will continue to be this battery and he will be back all right he will be back uh but it's going to be a very, how do I explain this? For Secret Wars, right, you have the creation of Battle World, which is essentially like this type concept of like a bunch of different realities and a bunch of different universes put together into one universe. And Loki, it, Loki will continue to play that part of the molecule man being the battery that holds together the multiverse and will eventually hold together battle world when it comes out. Uh, but yeah, that's sort of my, my idea on it slightly, slightly, but I have to leave in like five minutes. So uh, like, I, I, I don't know. Let's, I, 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 there's like, what, there's one thing I just have to say and, let's, and, I, and I gotta go. Let's hear what you have to say. All right. So like at this, in at some point uh make a question about it i don't know but there's i did want to mention uh the ending ravona renslayer and what she does for the mcu the implications moving forward people are questioning what happened at the end just to give clarification ravona renslayer was at the void at the end of time with the pyramid she was face to face with Elias with the pyramid in the back which i'm not going to tease what that is yet i also know what that is i'm going to let people yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> quiet, quiet. Secrets, secrets. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, she saw Elias at the end of time. And I'm just going to say, uh, Ravona's Renslayer stories is not done. Her story moving forward has to do with Elias. And it's going to be really, really exciting. And it's going to be potentially devastating to the multiverse. So we're going to have to wait and see when she comes back next. Uh there are some heavy rumors that I'm investigating that there's a possibility she may have something to do with Deadpool, but we're gonna we're gonna have to wait and see. We're gonna have to wait and see what happens with her. But yeah, I have to go. So uh, thank you thank guys you so much. Thank you for being uh, here. I love you guys. You are welcome. You guys Thanks, have a Alex. great podcast. 
you Thank are you. welcome. You guys are amazing. Love you. Bye. I think that might be a good place for us to to end too, unless you guys feel like you want to talk more. I know people thought, on like, forever. I wanted to hear you guys' thoughts on Ravona as well, because I definitely have some. Poor Lizzie. She's going to have to edit the crap out it, of this. This is, this is going to be a difficult... And I know we're way over time. Lizzie, I know you're listening to this. Thank you for all of your work. Oh, we, ha- we, ha- we haven't hit 90 minutes yet. We, we're over an hour, though. And, so and that's... Let's do a wrap-up with like our thoughts on Ravona, and then we can wrap up. Yeah, she right, said so we could go up to 90, okay? It's, our, uh, our, final okay. Th- our final thoughts, Ravona. Alex just shared his... You know, she wakes up in the void. What do you guys think this means? I don't know. I, I like maybe she becomes like the leader of the void or something like that. Or I don't know, man. Like the Elias uh, thing was a little bit confusing to me. I know that that like he remains says that Elias was he he uses like the Elias to uh, destroy other timelines or something he like eats that. Them, right? Yeah, he eats other timelines, which <laughs> yeah. is such a weird concept that like the the MCU has like introduced that time is like tangible like you can hold time in your hand you can put it in a loom you can yeah it's just such a weird thing for me it's been so hard for me to grasp that you can physically see time it's a physical object and that you can touch it and like and manipulate it and and it's just such a weird concept but like so obviously you know with ravona really interesting yeah it's 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 this is such a weird concept but yeah with ravona and, and like elias I mean, Alex did like a tease. I mean, obviously, if she's able to kind of, I don't know, like, I guess Elias, they kind of like allude to it as like a guard dog. It's like a dog. So if Ravona and Elias can get along, then she can manipulate, manipulate Elias to her, you know, whatever her plans are. I think she's totally going to, I think you use the word manipulate. I think she's totally going to find a way to control him because she's just in the void, right? Is there anyone else in there between her? And Elias, like she's she's pretty intelligent, pretty crafty. She's not a shrinking violet. Yeah, they're Loki's, right? Well, weren't um, they? They're still Loki's, Loki. Yeah. It was the only Loki who was killed was old classic Loki. <laughs> there's still other Loki. The there's still other people too. So I would imagine she, she that the void is like a whole, Yeah, I would imagine the void is like a, its own world essentially. The only thing is, so it's like a it's like a trash compactor and Elias <laughs> is the Elias is, is the, like compactor. the fern is the furnace yeah. Elias is like the furnace so if Elias isn't destroying things and it really could become its own world essentially well it's also problematic it right if, if Elias isn't destroying things that'll upset upset the balance of of the little trash compactor universe well, I, I, I think I think he is going to keep destroying things I did want to mention with the with the tangibility of time, that's something that one of my friends like really struggled with. So that's why she hated like the finale of season one is because she's like, you can't see time. And I'm like, this is like, like, I'm like, I'm like, why is that like where you can't suspend a disbelief? I'm like, they can go to a citadel at the end of time where an anthropomorphic clock is giving you jump scares and controlling everything but you can't see the timeline. I'm like, you know, it's just such I, an I do think maybe grabbing it is like, yeah. grabbing it's a little bit more like, oh, okay. But I mean, that scene was epic. So I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Um, but about Ravona, I'm like, okay, so she's in the void. She sees Elias. I hate that that was in the trailer because I saw that like in the trailer and I'm like, oh my God, like she's in the void with Elias. What's going to happen? And then I see this show and I'm like, what's going to happen? And then I'm like, oh, it's going to be a tease for a season three that's not coming. Yeah. Well, um, is there well i mean and, and i hate I, to talk I, 
sorry, I was just gonna say like I this is like the one thing probably that I didn't like about season two, or like one of the very few things I didn't like is that I thought it set up really interesting stories for like Ravona and Miss Minutes. Like I liked where their storyline was going after especially after episode four. And then they just drop them like a hot potato and they don't matter. And it gives me like Ahsoka vibes where like the main villain isn't in the second to last episode and then they get a one split second shot in the next in like the finale like just to be like hey they're here um and i don't know i i didn't love that but i think she obviously harnesses Eliath. and my theory is that Eliath is her pet not he who remains because he who remains is a liar he's like i harnessed Eliath. i like condensed everything into the sacred timeline and like i'm the one who like came out on top but then we saw from episode four or yeah, from episode four, that that's a lie because Ravona is the one that led his armies to victory. And Ravona, it seems like Ravona was the brawn and he was the brains. I think that's an excellent and, way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that she's the one that harnessed Goliath. So I think she's in the void and she's like, oh crap, what am I going to do? There's this giant cloud monster coming down on me. And I think going with the guard dog analogy, he's going to be like, oh my God, mom's back. Mm-hmm. And then I think she's going to show up in like some future project writing Elioth like you know like I don't know she's just going to show up on his back I don't know how because he's a cloud but that's what I think is going to happen I think this is the go ahead sorry no you can go ahead I don't think this is the end for her I think I don't know if it's going to show up in a season three because Loki seems to have a pretty solid ending there but I think we will see more of her in in different projects and we will see more of Elioth and Hopefully some others. The one thing I'm curious about with Loki, like, you know, we talk about this being the end. This is a little bit off topic and I'll make this a quick, like, um, thought. But Loki being able to time slip, I'm wondering if him time slipping would be able, would mean that he can stay, like, at the end of time, holding the multiverse together while time slipping his mind into, like, a previous version of himself. And that could be a way to continue the character. I'm not sure what the like how that would work like if 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 they could do that but I feel like that would be a way where that would it would be a way where the character could move forward the only thing is like would that take him off his path that he's currently I don't know so it's just a thought but I thought that too and I think especially with the being out of body and him not being out of body as they went on further I think that's um that's a way to do it and I think it, it you know it might make some people mad um, but I think, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing to consider. Um, all right. So do you guys have any final thoughts about the Loki season two finale before we finish up here? Anything you want to share? I think I'm good. I mean, I like the love Loki. love the show. It's probably the best Disney Plus show. Um, sucks that it's over. I think that they could have kept going, but this is a good ending for Loki. Um, yeah, that probably. I mean, it's hard to be like, "Hey, what are we going to do about Mobius? What are we going to do about Sylvie, Ravana?" You know, there's a lot of uh, the TVA. Um, you know, now, remains now to be it's time seen. to pull a WandaVision and make a Sylvie show. Yeah, <laughs> no, I feel like um, you know the Deadpool three. They're introducing Matthew McFadden. Um, there's a lot of rumors that his character is a TVA agent. I almost feel like maybe they're introducing him to replace Mobius. Because Matthew McFadden, I mean, I don't know if anybody's watched Succession here. You guys watch Succession. Tom Wamskins, great character. Uh, very, very, very funny. 
um, he definitely is like a TVA agent kind of, he could play TVA agent really well. And I feel like, you know, maybe he'll be one of the main characters of the TVA going forward. So we'll see. Well, thank you. I think that's, I guess that's all we have now. We've fulfilled our glorious purpose. Um, thank you all for listening. I'm Isla Ruby and you can find everything I've written at thecosmiccircus.com. Um, where can we find you guys? I'm Drew Reed. You can find me, um, you know, on Twitter, Drew Reed one zero nine nine on Twitter, and uh, obviously you can find me on the Cosmic Circus. And I'm Uday. You can find me at Golden Ninja three thousand on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All right, and again, go to the CosmicCircus.com for more of our our amazing theories and news. And it's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. 